Welcome to season four, Fostering Change, the number one podcast in adoption and foster care. You know, each week we speak to the most amazing good humans about topics that touch each and every one of us. If you have a guest suggestion or interest in sponsoring our podcast, please visit us at fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. Now, sit back, enjoy, learn, get motivated, and let's speak to some fascinating guests. Well, you know, it's hard to believe this month is almost over. You know, I think that the year is moving way too fast, but there's nothing that I love more is when I actually am able to take fostering change and have people use this as a format to really tell their story and also maybe help them on their path. You know, I'll never forget 10 years ago when we started our organization, I kind of wish that I had somebody that I could have like talked to or, you know, how do we do this or what do we do that? I mean, I had nothing about nonprofits, but the only thing I did know is that in my heart of heart, I wanted to help kids who are in foster care. And my next guest, that's exactly what she wants to do. Not only is she a title holder, which by the way, I've told you all the story about title holders. I never gave any thought about it until I was asked to judge my very first pageant. And I was like, wow, these ladies are smart. But she is not only a title holder, but she is a really big advocate when it comes to children who are in our foster care system. Not only was she in the system, but she also had a broken adoption, which, you know, I talk a lot about the boomerang kids and how it's very, very sad. I think they suffer more with trauma than children who actually have stayed in the system for their entire time. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my friend, Angelina Blair. Angelina, welcome to Fostering Change. Good morning. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here today. Well, I am happy for you to be here as well. And I want to go and ask the question that everyone is wanting to know. They're listening. They're watching. You've got to tell me about the failure of your adoption, because I think that we as a society are not educating our community enough about the percentage of children who come into our foster care system, who the adopted parents are not either qualified, they're not educated enough about the child who they're going to be receiving, and they have these rose-colored glasses on, and then all of a sudden, the adoption to them, it's like, oh, I'm going to take the dress back because it doesn't fit anymore. I, mm -hmm. I really want to talk about that. I want to talk about what happened. Yeah, so I entered foster care when I was about five, six years old. I stayed there until I was eight. I'm sorry, I stayed there until I was seven. I went home to my mother and then I returned back to the foster care system at eight years old, as well as my brother and my sister. And our grandparents actually took us in and adopted us. Our adoption took about three years to finalize. And during that time, we were in the state of Washington when we were in care. We were then moved to Oregon to be with my grandparents. And then once our adoption finalized, they kind of changed our last names. They cut us off from all of our other biological family, and they moved us from Oregon to Nevada. So we essentially had new names. We lived in a new state. We didn't know anybody. We lost all of our ties to our biological family, as well as our social workers and anybody that had kind of 
ever helped us. And within three months of being back in the state of Nevada, my grandparents actually returned me to the system. And how they did that was they took me to a facility here called the McGee Center. And they dropped me off and they left me there for about eight days. I was supposed to be there for like a three-day kind of a stay. Um, They dropped me off for eight days. And at that point, the McGee Center reached out to services. And that's how I went back into care. So I have to ask you, and everybody wants to know this, and I have five children who I've adopted through the system. Were you being a child that was being a child that you were, you know, not making the road um, as smooth as what your grandparents thought it was going to be? A hundred percent. Once my grandparents finalized our adoption and then they kind of removed all contact with, you know, with my mother, with my aunt, with any family I had that mattered to me. And I really started to rebel at that point. And I kind of hopped out my window and I was like, I'm gone. I'm taking off one night. And that what was were you like 11? You were, you were 11 or 12 years old at the time? Yeah, I was 11 in a brand new state and I didn't know anybody. And I was like, I'm gone. I'm out of here. And, and I, I left. <laughs> Do you think that possibly, and maybe you've been diagnosed with this, that you didn't even know that you have reactive attachment disorder? Oh, a hundred percent. As a child, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. That's something yeah. that I have struggled with. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know what, by the way, I can't blame you. As a father, I have a son who has who has rad and it is very, very difficult. And by the way, we've actually had social workers say to us, you know, you can give them back. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You, no. you you literally fight the fight. You do everything you can to support them and to give them to, you know, the, the thing I always keep always reminding my son is that I love you. And I love you unconditionally, by the way. I love you unconditionally. So so here you are, you go back into the system. And by the way, now you're split up with your siblings, okay? Your mom's already lost you one other time. She lost you a second time. And by the way, I get, and go ahead, send me the hate all you all want. The foster care system is nothing but a failure. So my concern is the fact that when you and your your siblings were with your mother after you were returned, was she not receiving adequate support to help her maybe through her mental illness or her drug addiction or her housing? Or what do you feel that the system failed her in such a way too? You know, I do. At the same time though, my mother struggled with mental health issues such as schizophrenia. And she had been medicating herself for, you know, I don't know how long. So I, I've i never really had a solid grasp on the level of my mother's sanity, if that makes sense. I'm not sure what really could have been done for her, but I do recall that we were constantly on the move. We, we lived in so many states. I've lived in, I think, eight or nine different states. Um, so my mom would just... You and I could be right. like I, I went through the same thing with my mother, you know, no real diagnosis, but I, I will tell you there was something going on to have 10 kids and live in as many states and do as much as we have done. You know, when it comes to your brother and sister, you know, they actually didn't leave your grandparents. Uh, they did. Over they did. over a period of time, I did put all three of us slowly back into the system. Wow. All three of you back in the system in different homes, I'm assuming. Yes. What is your brothers and sister? What are they like now? 
Um, my brother is is doing pretty well. When he was 18, he received like an inheritance. And so he's a homeowner and he's got a wonderful job as a diesel mechanic. We rarely see each other, unfortunately. My brother has kind of always held it against me that we were separated because I was very parentified as a child. So then when we were split up and I chose to move and go to college and pursue a pharmacy degree in San Francisco, um, he kind of felt that I abandoned him. And we've never really been able to repair our relationship after that. Been there, done that. What about your sister? My sister is is okay. I think she's got kind of some of the similar issues as my mom may have had. She's got fetal alcohol syndrome. So she's on that spectrum and she's not always doing the best for herself. So I try to, you know, support her as much as I can financially. And she's got a couple of kids. And so I do what I can for my niece and buy her clothes and make sure she gets to school and all those things. Yeah, you know, it's kind of hard. I mean, when you have siblings and you know the the trauma that each and every one of you have gone through, it's kind of hard when you're the one who maybe possibly, as I say, take the chance and don't blame the system, but try to change the system, which is something I, I really feel that you're trying to do as well. But I also, like you, have a brother who became successful and we've never been able to repair our relationship. And even though I was the baby of the 10 children and, and I feel they abandoned me, it's just sometimes. And and I think, you know, for me, and I don't know how you feel about this, Angelina, I'd love to hear your input on this. But, you know, for me, it was all about forgiveness. So, you know, I forgave my biological family. I forgave my foster parents who failed me. I forgave my community who basically let me flounder on the streets for the times that I did. And I forgave all of them, not, not because I wanted them to have an escape. I forgave them because I couldn't start healing in my late 20s, early 30s until that forgiveness happened. How did that happen for you? You know, Rob, that is something I work on every day. And, and I apologize. It makes me a little emotional to think about. My journey has always been something that I've never been proud of. It's something that I've always really hidden. And then last year I was at a speaking engagement and afterwards uh, a woman who I know, who I'm kind of close to, her name's Lori. She uh, works for DCFS here in the rural regions of Nevada. She came up to me and she thanked me for my words and she shook my hand and told me that I need to use my words to keep generating change. Yeah. And that was the first time in my life that I have ever been thankful for my journey. Gosh, I can feel I can feel your heart right now through the screen because I will tell you she's exactly right. You know, very similar to you, I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I did not want people to have the F word put in front of my name yeah. because I know exactly what we all think about those children. And I didn't want to be associated with being one of those children. Listen, I love your rawness. I love your rawness. You know what, guys? We're going to be right back because we have a lot more to talk about, including I've got to talk about your title because I am so loving, loving, loving <laughs> your title because I love good, positive body image. So we'll be right back. 
This episode of Fostering Change is sponsored by Comfort Cases, a national nonprofit that inspires our communities to bring hope and dignity to our youth that are in foster care. For just $10 a month, you can support the Comfort Case mission and help us eliminate trash bags for kids who are entering foster care. For every $10 that you give, Comfort Cases will give a Comfort XL to a child entering the system. Be part of the change. Visit comfortcases.org. Well, you know, normally it's me that's cries during our show. And I love the fact when I have guests on that truly they let us see how vulnerable we all can be. They also talk about the pain that I think some of you don't even imagine. And I am 56 years old. I'll be 57 this year. And there is not a day goes by that there are moments within my life on that daily basis that triggers me to think about what if and do you remember when and Angelina I think that that's something that you know I will tell you you're probably the age to be my daughter and it's just something that just doesn't seem to go away for kids like us who have been in and out of the system because the system has done nothing any more than just, you know, give us more trauma to put with on our plate. But I've got to tell you, I'm proud of you, though. I mean, understanding that only 54% of kids actually graduate from high school. The know the fact that we only see 3% get a college degree, which you have received a college degree as well. And then you decided that you wanted to be a title holder and you actually hold what I think is one of the most amazing titles there is and tell me about that title yes so i um am national miss curvy and i'm all about okay wait stop everybody i want you to make sure you heard that correctly her title (laughs) is national miss curvy you know first of all i kind of like i can't even really have a title like that because all people are beautiful But I'm glad to know that, you know, you were able to, you know, take this title. And for those who are listening, guys, titles are not to boost their egos. Titles help them with scholarships. I mean, the Miss America Foundation, which I don't know if you're part of Miss America or if you're part of Miss USA. Show us that beautiful crown that you have there. So if you see this beautiful crown that's right here, so I'm assuming that you are part of the Miss America. I'm not. I'm actually part of a whole separate division. It's okay. through Silver State and National Miss Curvy is its own own division within the Silver State's system. Got it. Got it. Got it. So because I do know that every point on a woman's crown means something, sisterhood, community, and things like that. So, you know, all of a sudden you decide you're going to be, you're going to run for Miss Kurt. How did that happen? I had a friend who kind of does the panel speakings that I do with DCFS as well. And pageantry is something she was involved in. And during COVID, I saw that they were seeking a Miss Nevada and they were having a scholarship because, you know, as a foster kid, I always think of myself as not really being able to afford to to do a lot of things like that. Um, pageantry is very expensive, but I was able to write an essay about the community service that I'd done for several years. And I um, obtained a scholarship to become Miss Curvy Nevada. 
Wow, that's amazing. And I love the fact, again, you know, so many people think that, you know, these these pageants are based about swimwear and about evening gown and about, but truly the amazing humans that I have met, and I've met so many pageant holders, um, each and every one of them have done it for the scholarship money. Um, and each and every one of them have a platform that is beyond. I mean, I'm just blown away by the platform and the the, the amount of hours that you give for community service is quite a bit. So what is your full-time job? Full-time, I currently work in real estate. My background has been in pharmacy, but I'm, I'm in real estate at the moment. I love that. I love that. I did. Let me tell you, I was in banking for 28 years. I always tell people all the time, it was the mortgage industry that actually saved my life. And <laughs> so, you know, I know all there is to know about real estate and I absolutely love that. What do you hope will gain from the platform that you started? Well, I'm a member of Active 2030 Club. I am part of QPI, which is the Quality Parenting Initiative for the state of Nevada. I've been assigned to the Child Justice Act Task Force for the state of Nevada. I work with DCFS. I do so many different things. And ultimately, having this platform is just giving me a greater volume to kind of help spread my word. My ultimate goal is to be able to have a nonprofit for teenage foster kids and for kids aging out of the system like I did, because I feel that that's the area where kids really need help. You know, we see babies and we see young foster kids get adopted and, and be loved and kind of be given the best life that they can. But a lot of times our teenage foster kids are, are just kind of left in the system. How I felt is that I was I was returned to the system to rot. And my goal is to create change. I want these teen kids to have amazing Christmases. I want them to have mentors. I want them to have support. I want them to be able to do enriching activities like sports and arts and dance and all the things that I didn't get to do as a foster kid. And I want them to become adults and know that they can have all of the tools and skills that they need to be a contributing member of society and to change the world. Because like you mentioned, a lot of people look at foster kids as, you know, being broken or, or as something's wrong with us. And we don't go into the system because we choose to. Right, right. I say that all the time. We have to remember that children in our foster care system are there because of a choice that someone else made. But something I'm going to teach you, Angelina, that I wish someone had taught me years ago is it's something that I truly carry deep within my heart. And I try to let every person know. I think the moment that we as humans change our vocabulary is the moment that we will start seeing the change that we need within our child welfare system. And what I mean by that is whenever I start out a talk and I hear, I see around the room and I someone calls someone a foster child, I can see the look in their eye and they're thinking in their mind, what did that kid do wrong? Okay. Mm -hmm. The second thing is that kid is bad. The third thing is that kid has mental illness and can't be, you know, so what I would love for you to take away from this is changing our vocabulary and let's start calling them kids in foster care, no longer calling them foster kids, calling them kids in foster care. And I'm telling you, you as a public speaker, 
you as somebody who has such a beautiful platform, I guarantee you three months from now, you're going to call me and you're going to say, you know what, Rob, I started saying kids in foster care. And I literally actually saw the difference in the way the audience sat in their seat. Because what happens is when we first have to acknowledge, first, we have to acknowledge they are children. They are children, you know, and the fact is they're children in our foster care system. They are not, it should not be what they're labeled, but who they are. And, you know, my son, who's up here at the very top, my sweet boy, Alex, he was actually 18 years old when my husband and I took him in, because just like you said, he was a child who was in the system, floundering, left there to rot days before he was getting ready to be aged out he was going to age out and what was going to happen to this boy and that is like you and i have that same i have such a passion when it comes to the older children mind you i love that my babies came to me when they were very little i loved how to experience that but i will tell you there is nothing nothing better than being a dad to a child who has experienced what my son experienced and now all of a sudden to reap the benefits. And he just finished his sophomore year in college and he's getting ready to go to London to study abroad. So I'm going to support you 110%, Angelina. I want to see a year from now, you come back to Fostering Change. I want to see that you have started your nonprofit. And I really want to see you have the mission to make sure that we're helping as many kids as we possibly can. Absolutely. Yes, I totally agree. I definitely want that to happen. I don't know how to begin a nonprofit, but I'm definitely out here trying to make change somehow. And I'm sure you understand when I say it's hard to make change in the foster care system because it is so convoluted and I appreciate the social workers and I appreciate all the people in the system for the good reasons. And then there's all the bad things that bad things that I want to change as well. And it's kind of a big thing, but I'm I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna change the world somehow. I, I know you myself are. as a foster but let me tell you, I know you are, and I will have to tell you this. And the thing is, as I remind people all the time, there's good and bad in our world, okay? So just because we're talking about all the wrongs that are happening within the system and how bad shattered the system is, and does not mean that we're sitting here putting the CASAs down and putting the social workers down because we love them and they work hard. And there's a lot of amazing CASAs and there are a lot of amazing social workers. But at the same time, there's a lot that we need to change and we need to yeah. change that today and not tomorrow because these are children of our future listen everybody i am so excited that you were all able to hear my friend angelina speak you know she's gonna be around i know that and i hope each and every one of you had the most amazing january just like i had and i cannot wait to see what february will bring take care everyone I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of Fostering Change. All of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including, of course, comfortcases.org. I want to give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. 
and a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast, or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange@comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.